Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Most of us know the Christmas story very well, don't we? The night scene in Bethlehem, the shepherds watching their flocks, the angels appearing in the glory, the babe in a manger. Yes, we know it so well that we often forget that these events really happened. The shepherds had never heard the Christmas story before in their lives. They had never experienced angels appearing with a message from heaven. They had never seen a newborn baby lying in a cattle feeder. Yes, we can become so familiar with the story that we lose the awesome wonder of that day. And so many people miss the message completely. A message brought to us from heaven by angels no less. Tremendous news of a Savior given unto us. Why would God even do this for sinners who hated and rejected him, and who still do? Well, the only reason is in God's great heart of love for sinners like us. Yes, the gospel message of goodwill to mankind came from the lips of angels, and we would do well to give it our utmost attention, don't you think? Today's message with evangelist Mr. Marvin Dirksen takes a look at the gospel according to angels, and we hope that it will touch your heart this Christmas. A number of years ago, there was an individual that asked me a very personal question. They said, do you believe in Christmas? Do you personally believe in Christmas? Now, we understand that the word Christmas is not in the Bible. It's not a word that's found there. But Christmas is a very wonderful time of year that we look forward to, to be able to spend time with our loved ones, with our family members. In fact, sometimes it's the only time that we see them in the course of a year. But as I heard the question, I thought, maybe there's another motive involved in this. And so I remember answering it this way. I said, well, if you're referring to the, to the lights and to the tinsel, and to the gifts and to Santa Claus coming with his rangers bearing gifts. No, I, I do not believe in that version of Christmas. But if you're asking whether I believe that there was a moment when the eternal Son of God was sent from heaven to become our Savior, yes, absolutely yes, I believe in Christmas. And so, you know, as we present the glorious truths of that wonderful visitation with its glory and its grace, my prayer is that your heart will be warmed. And your life will be transformed by this matchless Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the actual account of that visitation was given by an angel. And so I have called the message tonight, The Gospel According to Angels. We're going to read the account, part of the account anyway, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse number 6. Now, you'll be aware that Luke chapter 2 brings us to the village of Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph have left Nazareth because there is the enrollment that has been decreed by Caesar in Rome that everyone would return to their birthplace. So Mary and Joseph have made the very long trek to Bethlehem. And in verse number 6 it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What a night it was for those shepherds as they were sitting by their flock on the hillside of Bethlehem. I've often wondered what they were talking about. Perhaps they were sitting in silence, just watching their flocks moving in the darkness. Or I have wondered whether perhaps they were discussing the fact that the Messiah was surely about to come. There were those in Israel that were looking for his appearing. He had been promised to come, to be sent. And there were individuals that longed for that moment to come. And so perhaps they were discussing the great need of a Savior, when suddenly, and yes, very unexpectedly, the darkness of that night was dissipated by the radiance of the glory of God. An angelic messenger gave some very thrilling news. Despite their fear, he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Thrilling news. You know, when we come to Luke chapter 2, we are made to understand that God had been silent as far as any communication with earth for 400 years. Uh, that is a long, long time. But I can tell you the wheels of God's purposes and the wheels of God's plan were still on track, steadily moving to a moment when the Father would turn to the Son and he said, it's time to go. I love the verse in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul is writing to the assemblies there in Galatia, and he said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son to redeem them that were under the law. They couldn't keep the law. To redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons, that they might be brought into God's family with an eternal relationship with him. What a moment in the history of this world when God became a man. And he became a man that he might reveal his heart of love for us, that we might be able to understand exactly who God is, what kind of a character he is. And yes, that he might personally and voluntarily and sacrificially deal with the greatest problem. It was the problem of our sin. But you know, as we think of a savior tonight, I think there are some questions that surround this visitation. And so let me just address three of these questions tonight. Some of you might be wondering, did the world really need a Savior? And to come even more personally, you might ask, well, do I need a Savior? Can't we fix our own problems? Do we need any help from God? Well, let me tell you tonight, my dear friend, that the story of Christmas was the greatest search and rescue mission ever undertaken. You know, if you're honest with yourself, and if you're honest as you look at the world in which we're living, you will, I believe, have to acknowledge that something is wrong with this world. And to come even closer, something is wrong with my life. Interestingly, science has split the atom, and that's been done many, many years ago. But despite these scientific achievements, we're having a hard time keeping our marriages together, keeping relationships intact. We've been able to put a man on the moon a number of times, but we've lost our bearings as to how a person can actually get to heaven. We have surrounded ourselves with all kinds of materialistic treasures, possessions, all the, all the perks of life. And yet we've never been so empty 
so dissatisfied, still searching for something more. You know, this world is a very sad world, and behind many smiling faces, there are sad, broken hearts. In fact, I remember reading about a very world-famous actor, and after his death, his daughter said this about her father. She says, my father was always looking outside for what was missing inside. You know, sadly tonight, a lot of people are convinced that we'll find the solution someday. We'll be fulfilled. We'll discover the, the secret of life. But despite all of man's attempts, despite all that they buy, and despite all that they go in for, man is still left empty, unsatisfied, with no peace. So let me ask you, what is the problem? Do we need a savior? Oh, my dear friend, the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Because you see, the real problem and our biggest problem is the problem of our sin. It comes from the very core of our being. Because you see, sin has separated us from God. Now, we weren't made that way. We were made for a relationship with God. We were made to enjoy his presence, to be worshipers and servants of the Almighty God forever, and to experience his eternal purposes for us. But when our first parents chose to go their own way, and that account is found in Genesis chapter 3, where they decided that they would do it their way, when they were convinced that going God's way and keeping his commandment was very narrow and very restrictive, they disobeyed their God. We find that in that moment of moments, the most tragic moment in this world's history, the line went dead. Our relationship with their God was severed when sin came in. And the Bible says death by sin because all have sinned. You see, the evidence of sin is all around us. You don't have to look too far. But you know, it's not just what we've done that gives the evidence. Yes, there's, there's the evidence of the lying and the cheating and the selfishness and the pride and the anger and the violence and the immoral lifestyles that is so rampant these days. But you see, all of that finds its source at the very core of our being. You see, we are sinners at the very core. And that's why we sin, because we are sinners. You see, it's not just what we've done that's the problem. It's who we are. So sin has broken a relationship with God. But sin has also brought guilt. And with guilt has come a lack of peace, a lack of reassurance that all is well with God. I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of us that many times we have tried to cover up and to camouflage what we are and what we've done. We hope no one ever finds out. But you know, the memory of those actions and the memory of those words is still with us. Our conscience is still very active. And so we understand that our sin and who we really are is a barrier as far as our relationship with God is concerned. But it's also a tremendous burden that we carry with the guilt and the unrest that sin has brought. There's a very sobering verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, the wages of sin is death. It's what sin results in. It's what sin produces. There are wages that sin brings, and the wages of sin is death. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, actually adds to that very sobering fact where the writer tells us it is appointed unto man, unto every one of us, once to die. But he adds, but after this, the judgment. After this, the judgment. You see, that makes us aware that we are accountable to God. 
Every single one of us will one day stand personally before the Almighty, and we will have to answer for every single sin and transgression and iniquity that we have committed. I can tell you that these were truths that deeply troubled me as a young university student many years ago. I came to understand that I had sins that were known to God. And I had come to understand that I would answer for every one of those sins. And I had to face the fact that I could not go to heaven with my sins not forgiven. If I could just put it very simply, I had a debt, as far as God is concerned, that I couldn't pay. And I had a past that I could not change. And I was facing a future that was bleak and hopeless because I was on the wrong road, a road that leads to hell. And that deeply, deeply disturbed me and troubled me. And, you know, as I faced these all-important facts and these truths, I had to admit that I was helpless, helpless to make any changes, helpless to remove even one of my sins, let alone a lifetime of sin. And in those stark realities, I had to come to the place where I admitted, I need a Savior. What a great discovery that is. And what a great discovery it would be for you tonight if you were to understand that you too need a Savior. Perhaps you've seen the the Christmas card that goes like this. If our greatest need had been for information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, well, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. So let me ask you very personally, have you ever discovered that you need a Savior? There's a second question that we need to ask. Why was Jesus Christ sent to be the Savior of the world? What was involved? How much did it cost? And of course, who was included in that search and rescue mission? You know, John chapter 3, verse 17 is a verse that thrills me. Yes, verse 16, that very well-known verse, is a, a beloved verse of many, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful truth that is, that God's love has provided and set his son a savior. But verse 17 goes on to amplify that. And it says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. We were condemned already. But God sent his son into the world that the world through him might be saved. First John chapter 4, verse 14, almost at the end of our Bible, says it equally as clear, where it says, the, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Let me tell you tonight, this was not an afterthought with God. God was not scrambling to try and deal with the emergency of our sin. No, this was the eternal plan of heaven. And when that moment came, God sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. But you know what amazes me tonight and what staggers me is that when the Father sent the Son, he was fully aware of the pathway and the course that that mission would take. He was fully aware of the cost of that mission, of the sacrifice that would be involved. And he was fully aware of the awful response from human hearts, their hatred of Christ, their resistance to truth, their ultimate demand that he would be put on a cross and die, their rejection of the Savior. And despite knowing all of that in its fullness, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. I recall when our oldest son was planning to spend a summer 
in the city of Toronto. We were living on the east coast of Canada at that time. And he had found a job in Toronto, and uh, as the day came to leave, he was he was super excited. The future was ahead of him. He had never worked in Toronto before, and uh, so he was looking forward to it with great excitement. I can tell you that mom and dad weren't quite as excited. We had a lot of questions, unanswered questions. How would he make out? Would he be able to do the job? Would he eat properly? Would he maintain his health? Would he find some good friends? Would he return? Okay. And as we saw him off at the airport, these questions lingered. But I can tell you tonight, what staggers me is that when the father sent the son, he knew exactly what that mission would bring. When I think of Bethlehem, a wee babe in Bethlehem, I'm amazed at the distance that the Lord Jesus Christ came. We think that our planet called Earth is large. But you know, when you put it alongside of all the galaxies, the planets and the galaxies upon the galaxies upon the galaxies, our little earth is just a speck of cosmic dust. And yet the focus of heaven was on planet earth. And so the distance he came can't be measured. And then I look at the wee babe in the manger, and I'm staggered at the depths to which he was willing to stoop. He actually became a man. He actually became a servant. There was a day when he put a towel around his waist, and he he stooped down and did a servant's work. He washed his disciples' feet. And so when I think of the depths to which he stooped, I have to acknowledge it's unfathomable. But then I come to Calvary. I come to the cross. And when I look at the darkness of his sufferings, I have to acknowledge I can't comprehend them. The awful weight of judgment that fell upon him because of our sins. You see, my friend, the story of Bethlehem, the story of Christmas, is not complete without going to Calvary. The two are linked. The start of the journey, the focus of the mission, because you see, it was at Calvary that the Lord Jesus Christ, as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, poured out his soul into death. When he answered to every charge that was against us, when he willingly endured the judgment that should have been upon us in our place. We were helpless to do anything for ourselves. But that's why Jesus came. He came to be our substitute. He came to take our place. And that's why, as Peter writes many years later of that great event, he says, Christ also has once for all time suffered for sins. He was the just one, the sinless one. But he suffered for the unjust ones. And that's where I come in. That he might bring us to God. And tonight, there is a substitute that has been provided. And all that God required justly, for the payment of our sin, was paid in full at the cross. You see, that's why there's millions of people tonight, and we love him, because he willingly gave himself for us. And that's why we can tell you that what took place at the cross is sufficient, is sufficient, is enough to meet the need of every single individual for all eternity. It's sufficient for all. But I need to tell you, it's only efficient for those that will personally receive him as their Savior. So let me ask you one final question as we close. What has your response been to the Savior? Have you ever personally received him and thanked him? Can you say with thanksgiving, he is my Savior, I love him, because he first loved me? I think it'd be interesting to be able to talk to a young woman. Well, maybe she's older now, but she was a a young woman by the name of Lindsay Burgess, who had come to the Niagara District from the state of Missouri in the U.S. of A., with her fiancé, Rich Wagner, no doubt to just enjoy the 
the landscape of Niagara. And in July of 2011, she was walking alongside of the Niagara Whirlpool Rapids. Now, anyone that has been there will understand that that's a very fast-moving body of water, very, very treacherous. In fact, the undertow is so powerful and so strong, it's been said that someone even with a life jacket on wouldn't be able to float on the surface for very long. You know, as that young couple were walking along, Lindsay thought, I wonder how powerful is the current? She said, I'm going to try it. And so she ventured out on those slippery, wet rocks. And as she began to put her foot into the river, suddenly, without any notice, she lost her balance. And in a moment, she found herself in the midst of that raging torrent, screaming for help and being swept downstream. Her fiancé, Rich, stood helplessly on the shore, couldn't do a thing. What that young woman needed, well, you know what she needed. She needed someone to rescue her, someone to save her. And amazingly, the operators of the Whirlpool jet boat ride were contacted. I'm not sure how how they got the message to them. But when those men in that boat heard the news of a, a young woman in the water, they wheeled their boat around, and as quickly as they could, they went downstream to where they saw the the woman bobbing up and down, almost out of life, in danger of losing her life to a watery grave. And as those men came up alongside of Lindsay, strong arms reached down and pulled her over the side to her safety, saved, rescued. What moved me was to watch the YouTube video of, of a visit to the hospital the next day by those same men that had rescued her. And as they stood around her bedside, just wanting to see how she was doing, wishing her well. She said these words to them. She said, I'll be thinking of you guys every day for the rest of my life because you gave me everything. You know, there's millions of people, and I just happen to be one of them. And we think about the Lord Jesus every single day. He means everything to us because, you see, he has become our Savior. He has rescued us from losing our soul in hell forever. That's why we love him. That's why we would desire that you might receive him. It's heaven's desire. It's our desire. You will personally understand your need of Christ, and you might receive him as your own personal Savior. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into the world he came to rescue poor sinners like you and me. And after all these years since that momentous occasion, it is still our greatest need. How about you? Will the Christmas story be just that for you? A story? A heartwarming tale of a baby in a manger? Or will you come to realize personally that this Savior came to save you from a lost eternity? We hope that you will trust Christ before this year ends and rejoice in knowing your sins forgiven. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message, 
and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.